right, how are we doing? Good, very, very good, very good. If you have your Bibles, grab those, Jonah chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1, and I'm just going to let it out of the bag. We're going to get through all 10 verses today. Yeah, we are. Um, so buckle up, hang on. Um, I know we looked at one verse last week that took us the whole time, um, but we are, we'll move a little bit quicker this morning, I promise. Um, if you have the app, you can follow along there. Um, you can just go to worship and then sermon notes, kind of it's got a little bit more uh, in there, things that I'll, I'll say and look at. If you want to follow along there, you can. Um, man, man, I'm just, I, I'm, I don't, I'm just excited. Like, I'm excited this morning. I don't, I don't know why, but I am. Um, and I guess I say that because before I came in, I had a conversation with someone and we were talking. I'm like, I'm excited, like, good, you should be, and I, I am, and I got to think about that, and I'm just going to, like I said, just lay it out here to begin with, because what I'm preaching on, I struggle with, you know what I mean? Like, like when, when you open up God's Word, and God's Word starts to kind of just lay you bare uh, about some things, and so what, what we're going to look at this morning, I'm just going to be honest with you, as, as a man of God, as, as a pastor, as, like, this is a struggle, I don't know why, this is just work for me, and we're going to look at prayer this morning. And I don't, know, I don't know where you're at in, in your prayer life or what that looks like, but, but I can remember for me, uh, and especially growing up, like my grandmother, she was just, man, she was a prayer warrior. I had two grandmothers that just would pray, like, like just ferocious women of God that would pray. And I can remember churches that I grew up in, just, they would call that, like they would say, like, get all the prayer warriors together. And I'm like, is that not a beautiful picture of what prayer is? I mean, like, like we're about to storm the gates of hell, and there's no better way to do that than through prayer. I mean, that's one of the ways we defeat it. And so uh, we're going to look at prayer this morning, all the while saying, in my life, I know that this is a struggle. And I think that's what's so good about reading through books of the Bible, because when certain things come up, it exposes certain things in us, and it allows the Holy Spirit to work on us, to kind of shape and mold us and form us and bring about conviction, which is a good gift from God. Conviction is never a bad thing. Conviction is a good gift, because what that does is hopefully the Holy Spirit will pull us more toward Him. And allow us to do the good work of repentance and, and, and getting back aligned with who God is and what he's called us to do and be about. And so um, that, that's, that's what we're going to look at this morning and we'll get to that here in a few minutes. Um, last week we finished up Jonah chapter 1. Um, if you missed any of that, you can go back and catch that on our webpage or on our app. But we just uh, really just focused in on one verse and the verse that we looked at was uh, probably one of the most scrutinized verses in all the scriptures. Uh, one person had said that if, if Jonah one seventeen was not there, uh, then, then Jonah would be a very believable, good book. Uh, to where I argued from the point of, if we go picking and choosing what we say is inspired uh, or inerrant and what's not inspired or inerrant, we're just on, we're on a very dangerous place, a slippery slope if we, if we go to that place and how we need to land at. God, God spoke it, God wrote it, God used people to write it, and, and that's good enough. And so if, if there's a crazy story like a fish swallowing a dude... In God's book, I'm going to believe it. Because I don't know if you've ever thought about what's more crazier than that is the fact that God has a son through a virgin and he walks on earth, perfect life. I don't know what your struggle looked like this week, but I know what mine did. And to be perfect and sinless for one day is impossible almost. Without God intervening and moving, for me to even be obedient in the smallest of things... And for him to live a life 33 and a half years old, the son of God, God in the flesh, go to a cross, die, not get beat up and, and, and put out of it for a few days, but, but, but die. We're talking, we're talking about coming back to life, three days dead, only to ascend to the Father and to rule and reign at the right hand of the Father. Now, do you know how crazy that story is? And you're struggling with a fish? Anyways, um... 
again, for, for me, it, it, I believe this is God's infallible, inerrant, perfect word. And so we have got that. And I'm, I'm going to grab onto it because all I know is this, is, is that without him, I'm nothing. And, and if I try to control and I try to rule and I try to make up rules and make up policies and make up stuff like that, they just fall woefully short. And so I'm just going to default to what God says is being good enough. And I'm going to believe all of it like it should be. Um, so all of that was last week. Um, I don't have time to get back into that or we will be here till tomorrow. Um, so Today, we're going to look at uh, Jonah chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. Uh, but before we get there, I, I just want to start out with a question. I want to ask you a question as we get ready to dive into uh, where Jonah's at. Have you ever been in that place of desperation? I mean, have you ever been desperate? I mean, just really, really desperate. Maybe where something looks bleak and it just looks hopeless or there's just no way out or there's just a, uh, whatever the danger or whatever the issue, or whatever the struggle may be, but just a, just a place of, of where you're just desperate. Like I can remember for me, I was a, a junior in college and, and I was working and I got that phone call. And if you've never been desperate, I'll just say this, you're one phone call away from it. And at any moment, God can get you to that place just like that. And for me, I can remember sitting there working and it was my mom on the other line. Um, and so just to kind of give you a little bit of history of what happened, uh, mom calls and it was because of my grandfather. My grandfather was in the hospital, he was in the ICU, um, and it was just crazy how God just kind of worked in his life, even though he wasn't a believer, and so he had an aneurysm, and it ruptured at one point in his life, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you're more medical than I am, and I'm going to blotch this up a little bit, but, but from what I remember, um, what they said is if you have an aneurysm, like 98% of the people die before they get to the hospital, and then the other like 1.5% die while on the operating table, and so for whatever reason, God intervened there. And you would have thought that would have gotten his attention, but it didn't. And so he's kind of recovering and got through some of that. And I can remember uh, being at school, and I get that call from mom, and they're saying, it's your grandfather, he's in ICU. It's not looking good. And, and what scared me the most was not him dying, but, but where he would spend eternity if he did die. Wasn't a follower of Jesus, wasn't a believer of Jesus. He knew about Jesus, but didn't want to submit his life to him as, as Lord and Savior. And so I can remember getting that call, running home, packing my bags, and it was a three-hour trip for me to get back to home in West Virginia. And so I can remember in that three hours, I prayed probably more than I've ever prayed in my entire life. And it was just this simplistic prayer, God, please, God, don't let him die yet. God, give me one shot. God, give me words. God, help me to share the gospel. God, help me have that conversation. God, please, God, God, please, God, I beg you. And, and I can remember that, like just that drive home and just begging God, God, please don't. God, please wait. God, please let me have an opportunity. And so I get there, and I can remember getting there, and they're waiting in the waiting room and, um, or, or out in the waiting area, and, and so they get to take me back. Mom takes me back, and she's like, all right, buddy, I'm, I'm just going to step out and let you in. And he was coherent. He was, he was awake and kind of could talk a little bit. And I remember, like, like, there was very little small talk. And I can remember just jumping right into it. I was like, I was like all right, Grandpa, we, we need to talk. He's like, we do? I said, yeah. I said, you're not doing very good. He's like, I know, I know. And, and I can remember, I just went right to the heart of it. Uh, I, said, I said, well, well Grandpa, uh, you know I love you. And I said, what scares me more than anything is the condition you're in. He's like, I'm in pretty bad shape. And I said, I'm not even talking about physically. I said, spiritually where you're at. And he just kind of ducked his head a little bit. Didn't, didn't really want to go down that road, have that conversation. But I, but I did, I, I wasn't going to let it pass. Moment of desperation, you do crazy things in moments of desperation, do we not? And so I do it. Like I have that gospel conversation. Nothing fancy, nothing uh, glittery. There's no points in a poem and an altar call and Franklin in the back playing keys. There's none of that. 
It's just me. Grandpa, you need Jesus. Like, like you're just like me. You're, you're sinful and you're in need of a Savior. And, and thank God He rescued me and saved me. I said, you need that. And do you know what happens after that? He looks at me and he says, Scott, I'll be fine. I just prayed for three hours. Like, like fervent, real prayer. Like gut-searching, just curling prayer for three hours. And I said, like, Grandpa, I don't think you understand. Like you know if you, and, and like I just like, I went at it. Like I, if you die, you go to hell. Like you know that, right? What the scriptures teach, what Jesus says, not what Scott says, but what God, the God of the universe has said that if you die separated from my son, that the payment that you get, I mean, I'd like, I'd, I'm about to get on his bed and just get a Bible and start hitting him. I don't know. That's where I was at. Don't worry about it. I'll be all right. And then he starts talking about the weather. Starts talking about the tires on his truck. And I can remember walking out of that room dejected and beat up and thinking, dear God, what the heck are you doing? Are you kidding me? I just dropped everything to get here to share the gospel with this man and you won't even save him. And I can just remember just having that conversation with him and, and, and those things. And, and you know what God said? He said, it'll be fine. Just, just pump the brakes because you know what God did? God didn't take him yet. God let him live about another year, year and a half. And you know what God did? God saved him. And said, you know, yeah, absolutely. So Jesus saved the man before he died. And and do you know what I did when I walked out of that room? As frustrated and as mad as I was, I let that be short-lived because you know what I did? I continued to pray for him. Because I wasn't going to stop just because God didn't move in that moment. I wasn't just going to give up on that. I was going to continue to pray that God would save my grandfather, that God would move. And so my hope for us this morning is this, is that God would shape us, God would mold us in a way that, that we live devoted to him in prayer, regardless of how big or how small the needs in our life may be, or regardless of what circumstances or situations we may be in, that God would shape us and mold us and get us to that place of desperation where we cry out to him. Where we seek him, where we talk to him constantly, that we're in his ear before the throne room of God, uh, making our petitions and requests known. And so that's what we're going to see happen in the book of Jonah this morning. Jonah 2.1 says this. If you'll join me as we pray and then we'll jump in. Father, speak this morning in this place, I beg. God, shape us, mold us. God, uh, give us a heart of prayer. Give us a heart of, of communion with you, a desire God, to be in your presence. Lord, I'm afraid that we've lost that desire to, to, to be in your presence, to be with you, to commune with you, to, 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 to communicate with you. And so, Father, I pray you stir in us. And God, I will even pray the dangerous prayer of that you will get us to a place where we're most desperate. So if, if that need to be the case, that you allow us to get to that place of desperation so that we'll cry out to you. God, that we'll enter into all the more in our relationship with you through prayer. Then we pray. Amen. Jonah 2 1 says this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Finally, he gets there. Finally, he is at that place where he should have started, right? If he had an issue with what God had called him to do or where God had called him to go, what do you do? You don't run, no, you talk to God about it. You, you, you take it before him. Because what I've learned is that when God asks us to do something, the problem isn't with what God's asked us to do, the problem is with the one who he's asked to do it. It's us, it's our issues, and that's where Jonah's at. And so what does he do? He doesn't do this. He does the opposite. And so finally, Jonah is reaching out to the one who's put him in the very belly of this fish. And so he turns to God and he begins to have this conversation with him. 
He begins to talk with him. Can we, just, can we just address for a moment, because I think this is a good place to kind of just, just land the plane for a second and, and just look at it. Can we just address the fact that he acted like a three-year-old and just ran away from God when God told him to do something that he didn't want to do? I mean, how crazy is that? But you know what that I've learned from Scripture is that when we read and we see these stories, a lot of the times it's reflective of us, is it not? I mean, we like to try to connect ourselves with like the, the, the big juggernauts of the Scripture and the big strong ones and the ones that have done so much. But, but the reality is this, this is this is the story of us. When has God called you and asked you to do something only to have you to run away, turn and run away the other direction? Like, like I've got a five-year-old right now, and one of the things that he struggles so much with is cleaning up his toys. Uh any parents in the room? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, Bennett, come on, buddy. Let's, let's pick him up. You're done. Oh, Dad, my hands are really tired. Like, I have never played with toys to the point of exhaustion in my hands. How do you get to that place? I'm like, nobody. They can't be that tired. You're still holding toys. I'm tired. It hurt. And then you know what he'll do? He'll, he'll run. And sometimes I'll let him go only to go get him. Or sometimes I grab him and I'm like, you're going to sit there and you're going to pick those toys up. But, but this is what we see happen here in Jonah. God asks him to do something only to have him to take off and run the opposite direction. I mean, I mean, what a three-year-old move this is. But what I love about this story so much is the fact that, that you've got this prophet that God's called to go share a message with the people in desperate need of it that he doesn't want to go share with, but that God loved him enough to let him run for a little bit. God loved him enough to let him go, all the while God was right there with him. God was right there in the midst of him, running right beside Jonah, and Jonah didn't even realize it. I said a few weeks, you can't play hide and seek with God. You can't outrun God. When he calls you to do something, he's going to stay on you to do it. He's going to uh, work in a way that's going to get your attention and get you uh, back to the place you need to be. And that's what we see happening right here in the book of Jonah. And so I guess my question would be for you is, what about you? Have you ran? Do you remember what that was like? Maybe are you in the middle of running? Something that God has called you and asked you to do or be about and you're running from it right now? Where are you at? Because what I've learned is this, is just as we see in the book of Jonah here, consequences are always to follow, are they not? Consequences always comes and follows the actions of the saint. Usually when we obey and we're obedient, good consequences, but when we reject, we deny, we run, the consequences are much more heavier, much more weighty. And so what we see here is Jonah in the belly of this fish, and he finally has this conversation with God. And he's praying. He begins to pour out his heart. Why? Because he's at that place of desperation. He's at that place of great need. God has got him to the point of where he's finally got his attention. And look at what he says in his prayer in verse 2. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And then I love this next part. It says, and he answered me. Jonah, in the state that he was in of rebellion and running and disobedience, cries out to God. And what does God do? God answers. God moves on his behalf. God does something. And look at what it says. It says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. You know what I love? I love how God never lost track of Jonah. I love how God never misplaced him or God never wondered uh, what had happened to him. He was, he was always aware of his boy. He knew. He knew where he was at. I mean, remember in the story a few weeks ago, whenever they throw him into the sea, what happens? The sea just stops. I mean, that's God working and moving. God ordained that to happen. God was in the midst of it because God knew. 
And in the middle of that, it just stops. I just love how he never loses track of him. He's still aware. Can we just rest in that reality this morning? Can we just rest in that reality that I don't know where you're at, I don't know what you're going through, I don't know what's happened in your life, I don't know the hurt, I don't know the pain, I don't know the struggle, but what I do know is that God is well aware and even in the midst, in the middle of it, I don't care how far you think you've ran or how far you think you've gone or or where you've landed, God is in the middle of it. And what I've learned is this, is that God loves us enough to let us run a bit because in that we get tired out And when we get tired out, we get in that place of desperation, do we not? When we're tired and when we're worn out? What I've learned in my walk with Jesus is that that, um, he likes to put me in those uncomfortable moments or those uncomfortable situations. Why? Because then he gets my attention. When I'm comfortable and everything is good, I get kind of uh, uh, complacent. And complacency is not a place where God wants you. No, no, no. He wants your attention on him. He wants to to stretch you and to shape you and to mold you. And he's going to allow you to run sometimes to get to that place to be wore out, to be uncomfortable. I mean, Jonah would have never thought he'd have been in the belly of a fish. I mean, that was never his thought when he got on that boat. He thought he was fleeing, getting away from God. But what did we find out in the story? He was tired in the bottom of the boat. He had to be woken up because of that. And they throw him over in the sea, uncomfortable situation. I mean, you know what's in that sea, Right? Like, you, like, like, that's why we, I don't go much further than this in Myrtle Beach. I mean, there are creatures in there. Critters and stuff. And why do they always do Shark Week in the middle of the summer? I mean, why, why would they do that to us? I'm not getting in there. Are you supposed to poke them in the eyes, punch them in the gills? I don't know what you do. You, you scream like crazy and run. I, I, I mean, uh, that's what's in the water where he, you talk about uncomfortable, and then in the middle of that, have a, that would have been my thought. And in the middle of that, you have this big fish that comes out of nowhere and just swallows you up? I mean, good night. How crazy is that? But God put him in that uncomfortable moment, that uncomfortable situation. Why? Because in that, what we see is God gets his attention. And what I've learned and what I know is that God loves us enough to let us get to that place or to put us in those places so that he will get our attention, so that he will get, get us to turn our eyes to him. So God has been, he is, and he always will be aware of you and your circumstance. And I just believe everything in me is him working to get your attention at a greater level. It's him doing to get your attention at a, at a deeper, deeper level. And so God answers Jonah in one of the darkest places of his life. Look, that, that word there, Sheol, it just points to the fact that, that Jonah is in a, a catastrophic condition. He's in a horrific place. It portrays the thought of he's near death. Whenever you see that word there in this context, in this prayer, it would lead us to believe that, 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 that Jonah, he thinks it's over. That death is evident. It's there before him. And so the rebellion and his consequences of his sin, it brings him to the ledge of where death is. That's, that's what's going through his mind. That's what's running through his heart. He literally thinks this is it. Verse 3, he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and your, your waves and your billows, they passed over me. See, Jonah understands something. He understands that this is from God, that God has put him in this place, that God has allowed him to be there. He knows that God has, has, has done all of this because of his sin and his rebellion. And I just want to press us this morning, church, because, because hear me, God doesn't ever overlook or let go of sin and rebellion. He, he never ever turns a blind eye to it, no matter how much it may appear in our culture and our world that he is, that he doesn't care, that that whatever the case may be, uh, hear me, God doesn't just overlook that stuff. 
God just doesn't let rebellion and sin just wax over and move on and just people kind of get away with and, and do it. No, there, there is coming a day of reckoning upon which we want to make sure that we're on the right side of that. So for those of us found in Jesus Christ, our claim is that of Jesus and his work on the cross. Our judgment Our just reward for our sin has all been placed on the glorious, glorious Son of God, Jesus Christ, on that cross. So so that's what we claim. That's what we cling to. That's what we hold so, so dear to. And that's why it's so important for us as believers to constantly visit the cross. To constantly live there at that place of remembering because of what Christ has done for us. But there's a day coming. Martin Luther says this about this verse. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said this. He said, Jonah does not say the waves and the billows of the sea went over me, but your waves and your billows. Look look at who he accredits it to. He says, because he felt in his conscience that the sea with its waves and billows was the servant of God and of his wrath to punish sin. See, Jonah was in the right place of understanding there. Jonah knew because of his sin and his rebellion, this is what he gets. This is the consequences of of going against God. You have to answer for that. You know what's just crazy for me is just how quick we'll blame God for the consequences of our sin and rebellion. And I just thank God that we don't see Jonah doing that. So often we bring it upon ourselves and we're like, God, he's such a jerk. I mean, can you believe that he would allow this or he would do this or he would act like that or he would respond in that way or he wouldn't respond in that way? And we blame God all the while we know in our heart and in our life we're living rebellious or we're not being obedient or we're not following or we're not doing what he's called us to do. It's like, it's like we think we can sin and he'll bless us or we can half-heartedly dabble with him, kind of date him and flirt with him and do some things like that and with never being fully committed to him. And we expect him to bless and to do all the while there's, there's sin and rebellion in us. And we, we know we're not going to fully dive in and fully do what he's asked us to do or fully live like he's asked us to live. And we get ticked because he, he, he doesn't allow certain things to happen or he allows certain things to happen. And we blame it on him as if it's his fault. All the while we've brought it upon ourselves. I Man, I just think of what this story would have been like if Jonah was just have listened and obeyed. I just think about what the story of my life would look like if I would just listen and obey. Imagine what the story of your life would look like if you would just listen and obey. If we'll just do what he says. If we'll seek him, if we'll pray for him or pray to him and ask him to direct us and guide us and lead us. I want to show you something that I believe that he has responded and that he has done and that he is continuing to do. If you look at the screen right quick, check this out. Ah, that's pretty sweet. Look at that. New Life After School Ministries, sweet little bus to be catting around in as we pick up those kiddos. Church, what do we do? We pressed in, we prayed, we asked God to reveal, we asked God to move, and what has he been doing? He's been opening doors, he's been blessing, he's been doing. Uh, there's there's an, another van to follow here in the next week or so that we're going to get to go pick up. And, 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 and the, the one that has, has done this sweet decaling and painting for us said, bring it on and I'll do the next one. And as many as you get, I'll paint. And not charge us a penny. 
I mean, is that, is that not phenomenal? And, and, and talking with Hannah, the, 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 the conversations that she's having, the people that are interested for this after school, for the summer, for the summer opportunity of the summer camp. I mean, it's just, it's just been amazing. The, the lives that we've been able to touch, to talk to. I mean, it's just, it's just been, that's what happens when you listen and obey. When you press in and ask God to do. And then you listen to what he has to say and you follow after. That's what happens. He moves in a mighty, mighty way. So just imagine what it would be like for us if we would just obey. The story goes on in verse 4 and the prayer goes like this. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And so what we see here is Jonah, he just expresses both the depth of despair and the heights of his hope. You see, both of those take place here. And whenever he uses that word driven away, what, what that simply means is this phrase is one of the greatest expressions of emotional distress at being out of God's favor. That's where he finds himself. Do you see the desperation in him now? Can you relate to that heart? Man, to think that we're out of the favor of God? To think that we, we've gotten outside of that umbrella of his providential care, of his guiding, of his moving, of his leading, of his doing and working? I mean, that, that, it's hard enough. Well, Satan is our enemy. We don't need to bring about self-infliction to make it harder on ourselves. To battle God. This is a never, ever, ever a place that we want to be outside of God's favor. Verse 5 says this. It says that the water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. And at the roots of the mountain, I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. Uh, finally, Jonah is starting to see. Finally, Jonah's starting to understand. Well, just, just think for a moment of like an, an interview with someone who's just involved in a horrific event. As they begin to uh, just, just share about how the events unfold and, and what happens, that's what we're seeing here in, in Jonah. He lets us in on these events as they go down. It's almost as if we're getting a play-by-play -play as we see him in, the, in, the, in that fish and what's happening and what he's perceiving and what he's feeling and where he's at. I mean, he, he think he's, this is it for him. Like he's done, there's a hope that God will do something, but, but he just, he foresees himself as this been it. That's where he's at. Just this traumatic event that's self-inflicted. But in the midst of that, Jonah experiences something big. In the midst of that, God gets a hold of his heart and his attention. And there's just something big for Jonah. He experiences what God's stepping down to rescue him. In the midst of it, that's what we just read. Death appears to be on the horizon, but what happens? God reaches in at the last moment. God takes hold of. God moves on his behalf. And then look at where his heart ends up. Verse 7, he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And, I, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. When he thought that he was on the doorstep of death, what does he do? He cries out to God. Man, imagine what he wouldn't have had to go through if he had done that to begin with. Imagine what we wouldn't have to go through if that would be our heart and our desire and that, that we would hear for God's voice and we would listen and we would follow. I mean, as, as I read this, and as I thought about this, I just, I just think often of those who have come before us who have lost their life because of the gospel. Like what is it that runs through their mind? What is it that's heavy on their heart before they're lit on fire or before they're crucified or before they're decapitated or before they're speared to death? I mean, I mean, what happened before they're fed to the lions? 
I mean, those saints of old who have went through that and, and not to mention those in recent years who have lost their life because of them proclaiming Jesus in, in countries that are anti and they're taken captive and they're, and they're murdered. They become martyrs for Christ. I mean, what is it that runs through their mind? What are they feeling in that moment before their life is taken? And what we get to see here in this moment is Jonah open up and go that direction. And thank God he gets to the place of where he sees his great need for God. His faith and his relationship with God takes over. He goes on in verse 8 and he says, Those who pray regard uh, to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah finally comes to that place. He finally comes to that place where he lands at being obedient to the Lord. Isn't God good at convincing? Have you ever thought of it like that? I mean, is God not good at convincing? Like, like we think that we can trick or manipulate or do or outwit. I mean, I know I do. I can't tell you the times in my life where I thought that I could, oh, okay. or, or we'll do this. God, this is the last time I promise. And he knows well, because he's already there when we're going to do it again. But what I love is that he is still gracious and loving and pursues us even in the midst of that ridiculous prayer that we pray. God, this is the last time I promise I swear I'll never do it again. I mean, how many times have we prayed that? Have we done that? And even in the midst of that, God still gets our attention, still convinces us. I guess my question is, what, what has God had to do in your life to get your eyes fully on him? What would God have to do today in your life to get your eyes fully on him. Think about that for a moment. What fish would he have to send your way to get your affection, your attention, your desire fully on him? Not work and advancement, not finances, not kids, their accomplishments, their little accolades, not on a spouse, relationships. I'm talking about what would God have to send your way to get your attention on him fully, completely. That's a scary thing to think, isn't it? But what I know about him is he's loving enough to do that. And I know in our mind there's this fight of how is that loving if he takes or he does? Because church, if he's the greatest thing, would it not be the most loving thing to get us to turn our eyes to him no matter the cost? Those kids aren't yours. They're not yours. That job doesn't belong to you. No, God has allowed. That financial advancement, no, 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 no. no that, that's not the greatest thing in your life. That relationship with whoever, no, 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 no. No, no, no. No, no, no. The most greatest thing in your life should be that of Jesus. That relationship Walking in that reality, him. Like I can remember for me, I was, a, I was a sophomore going into my junior year of high school and I was gonna be the stuff, y'all. Like I'm telling you, like it's little town, like, like little town single A type stuff, but I was gonna be the stuff in the little town single A type stuff. You know what I'm saying? Going into my junior year, I was the quarterback. I was the shooting guard on the basketball team. And, and I knew, like I wouldn't make NFL or NBA. I, I'm, a, I'm a white dude that jumps this high. Like I understand but D2, baby, like I, I could do, you know, like a little double A type thing. I could do something maybe there, get, get my school paid for a little bit at least, right? I mean, I had big dreams making it NAIA whatever tournament, being the stuff. 
And so sophomore year, going into my junior year, I was at a basketball camp. And so you'd go to this college basketball camp to try to get some exposure, things like that. So my cousin and I were playing on the same team. He steals the ball. I turn to run down the court. And guess what happens? I trip over the daggum ref. How does that even happen? I trip over him. I thought I rolled my ankle. I thought my week was done. Come to find out I broke the bone in my foot, which happens to be one of the slowest daggum healing bones in your whole body. Because I'm thinking, okay, four to six weeks, I'm back at this. Your, your brother did it. Four to six weeks, I'm back at this thing. It's easy. I begged my parents for surgery because apparently it heals quicker. They wouldn't let me do it because they knew Scott wasn't going pro. So finally I heal. I missed the first three weeks of my junior year, football year season. I missed the first three weeks. And I'm like, I'm, I practiced the week. I'm ready to get in. Coach puts me in at receiver to kind of get me warmed up, to kind of get me going. And I'm in there at receiver. And I just, I want to hit somebody because I'm ticked now because I missed three weeks. Like I'm just a little, little antsy, frustrated. I'm, I'm not a violent guy, but I mean, in this moment, I feel violent. So I'm like, I, we, got, we got pads on. He wants to be hit. So I run at him, and as I run at him, and I'm not like, like any beast of anything to run at somebody, but I'm running at him, and what does he do? He turns a little chicken. I mean, if you see me coming, you're not turning. But he turns, and what do you do? You can't hit somebody in the back in football, so I stop. Roll my other foot. You know how the story goes, right? Break that foot, which happens to be the slowest healing bone in the foot, it feels like. So there's the next 8 to 10 to 12 weeks. So what happens? Scott misses the majority of his junior year of basketball, too. All of football. There goes basketball season. I think I get four or five games in and we get beat in the playoffs, whatever. But, but what I will tell you is this, is that was some of the sweetest time I ever had with the Lord. And that's not easy to say as a junior in high school. You, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I mean, that stuff's life. Relationships and sports and kind of that community and that hanging out. That stuff's life, y'all. And in that moment, God decided to get my attention, and I am so grateful that he did. Because from that moment on, Scott was never the same in his walk with Jesus. Because what he had loved and valued so much, God took. And what I learned is that when he took that, what he replaced it with was so much greater than throwing a stupid football down the, down the, down the field, than putting a, basket, a ball in a basket. It's so much greater what he, what he took from me and what he, what he gave me back. And thank God it wasn't my senior year, right? So at least I had a senior year. But what he took, man, what he put back with was himself. And that's what we're starting to see in the book of Jonah here. He's replacing that idol with himself. And then look at verse 10 as we start to wind down. Verse 10 says this, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Here we go again. We see God's sovereignty dealing with the fish. The fish listens. God speaks and he listens. It does what God says. And so I want to just take a moment as we start to, like I said, wind down as this. I just, I just want to do that what if game. What if, I want us to have a right, good understanding of what prayer is. Like what if we pray and even come to our senses and believe enough and have faith and, and God doesn't have whatever fish that we're in spit us out upon the shore where we think we should be spat out upon. What do we do with that? And I just want to press us, church, this morning that, that I don't believe that's what prayer is about. It's not about God doing for us. It's about us having relationship intimately with God. And so wherever he decides to spit us out, wherever he decides to let us land, and there is a better reason than we could ever, ever imagine. 
If it doesn't make sense to us, if we aren't healed in that moment, then what? Is God any less good or is God any less faithful? And I don't know about you, but I, like, I used to play that game. So there was a season of me being afraid to pray certain prayers because I thought that might be a little too much for God. That might be a little bit too big. You, you, you mean pray that God? God, there's no way. And it's so amazing to see how he just laughs at our prayers like that. Who would have thought in the middle of a pandemic God pressed upon our heart as a church to start an after-school ministry? To get a $1,000 check, said, here, here's a donation to the ministry. To be able to find buses to be painted for free. To be able to get all the stuff and to be able to set up and to be able to have the kids that we've got. Those type of things already. We've got a dang playground going on in back. I mean, we've got concrete being poured. We've got stuff happening. I mean, there's about to be a fence. There's about to be grass. Why so little kids can run around and have a great time and learn and grow all the while we get to love on and share Jesus with them. Who would have thought that would have been possible? And so I tried to bring people in on that to tell me how crazy it was. And they just got as crazy as I did. And then we bring it before the church and we ask you to like shoot this thing down. Let's like, let's pray this thing out of the way. And you just get as crazy as we did. Because God's going to move and God is going to do. And we've got to quit praying those little prayers or trying to play it safe. All the while, what I want to address real fast is that there's two camps. And the first camp is all about the will of God and praying for the will of God. And I'm like, yes and amen. And the second camp is just, just believe and have faith and the Lord will, will heal and the Lord will do and the Lord will, will move. And, and what happens is these two camps don't usually play well together. But I believe that they need each other more than they realize. See, one tells us how to, to pray for. And the other tells us how to respond when God doesn't do as we hope. And, and I believe that we need both. See, the scriptures, the Bible frees us up to pray boldly, to pray courageously for, the, for, for different things, a number of things. Not to just simply pray for God's will because we know that he can and that he will and that ultimately his will will be done in every circumstance, but, but he's given us the right and the freedom to enter into the throne and, and make our request and our petition known. So we don't need to set the bar too low for God to step over. All the while, there's no way possible for us to set the bar too high for him either. See, we come to him believing that he will move in a certain way and believing that if he does not, it will be because he has a better plan and a higher aim in mind for us. So what if Jonah doesn't make it to shore? God has a plan and God will be working. We know that's not the story. So what about for you? See, the Bible, what it does is it invites us in to pray and to plead with the Lord. Asking him to move in big ways. Asking him to just do a mighty, mighty work. So what am I going to do? I'm going to ask. Believing that Christ will do. And I'm going to open up my hands and trust things to the will of my God. Regardless of what happens. Knowing that he is in control and that he is working in a mighty, mighty way. So maybe a good way to pray would be like this. Lord, I know you can. Lord, I believe you will. And Lord, if you do not now, Bring glory to your name and help me keep the faith. That's a great way to approach it and to pray. So maybe you've been praying and it seems like God isn't listening. I promise you he does. I promise you he hears. I promise you he is well aware. I promise you he has a plan. And his plan is always better than what we could ever imagine. Always better than we could ever imagine. Jonah thought that he was going to die. And God has a different plan. 
So as Franklin comes back out to lead us this morning with I think this song that will go great with us just to help us open up our heart and mind to where he would lead. I want to end like I started. I mean, my hope for us is that God would shape us in a way that we live devoted to him in prayer regardless of how big or small the need in our life may be, regardless of the circumstances. Jonah's in the belly of the fish and he finally gets to the place of doing what he should have been doing to begin with. See, our prayer needs to be the first and main thing that we do, not the last thing out of desperation. The first and main thing that we do. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to give us a few things to pray for. I want to make us aware of a few things to pray for. And this list is on that app. If you want to get that, you can check it out there. But I just, this is what I believe that we need to be praying for, some things. And there's many more things. But, but one of the things that I think would be great for us as a body, as a church, to be, to be praying for is our people. I mean, that list that's on that, that uh, welcome desk out there and at the doors every, every week there, if you just grab that and take it, you can leave it in your car, you can put it uh, next to your bed and before you go, to, just pray for our people. Like, like we've got people that are hurting right now in this congregation. We have a few that are near death and unless God steps in and intervenes, they're gonna cross over into eternity. And so we need to pray that God would move. We have people that are hurting, that are sick. I think something else that we need to be praying for is just for God's favor in our Jerusalem in our community. That's what we need to be praying about. That's why March 13th, we're gonna do everything we can to get out there and just get to know some people. How can I pray for you? How can I serve you? And the cool thing with that is this, is that on the back of that prayer card, there's gonna be a QR code that they can scan. And on the back side of that card, we're gonna have a free date night here, March 27th, where we wanna put on display this, this after school ministry. Bring your kids, drop them off. And we would love to just watch your kids for an evening and allow you to just go and have a night with your spouse, your significant other. And man, we just, we just want to serve you. So we're just asking for God's favor there. Something else we can be praying for is this after-school ministry that starts in the summer. I think to break even for us what we were saying, and it's not about a financial gain, what it's about. Uh, the more money we make, the greater, because then what I'm longing for and looking forward to is the day that we can go to a single parent and say, hey, look, we, look, can we just have your kid for the summer? Free of charge. We just, we just want to serve you that way and love on you that way. I mean, how cool would that be? And so, so, so for us, what I'm praying for is this, is 40 kids this summer. I, I really want more. Like, I'd like 50, 60, 75 maybe. Don't me. And that's what I'm hoping for. But would you join me as we pray? And then from that, the, the, the after school portion of it would be even greater. That our first year, how crazy would it be our first year that we average over 40 kids at this summer, this summer camp and this after school ministry? Because the crazy thing, church, is this, is that 40 kids are getting to hear the gospel day in and day out and getting to see the hands and feet of Jesus, love on them and care for them. And do you know how much this world needs that? Do you know that? Something else we need to pray for is our country. Good God help us. We need to bear the burden of that and we need to approach the throne of God often and pray for the leadership of this country. Pray for God to move and get his hands upon us again to waken us up. Like, like the, the, the thing that I read this week, and I'm going to try to be not long here. The thing that I read this week is that they're getting rid of Mr. Potato Head. Dear Lord, when did a potato have gender? We're going to fight stupid, silly stuff like that. 
and get rid. Mrs. Potato Head was offended, I heard. I mean, how, how dumb and ludicrous is that? That a potato that is supposed to be a boy, I think because of the top hat, and that's it, can no longer be a boy because it's offensive. Dear God, save us. Our country needs Jesus more than anything. And so the very heart behind this book study as we walk through Jonah is for us to, we're the answer, church. Like, we know the answer. We've got the fix. We know what sets this course back right. And it's Jesus. He needs to rescue and redeem fallen man because that's what that junk is. I mean, that's crazy. And not to mention the stuff that's been piped into our kids. We want our kids to be here. Like, I was just talking to someone uh, this past week about how their kid kind of was attacked a little bit because of their belief. And they're like, fourth or fifth grade. Like, are you kidding me? We want that kid here to pump them up. You go back and you tell your teacher this. We'll give you some ammunition. Th- that's our heart and our desire. All the while, that's been our heart and our desire too. And it's to share the gospel. And the last thing I would say is this. And just, just hold on. I know you're going to... Th- this gets kind of antsy in church a little bit, but monetary needs. We're going to talk about money for a second. I'm just going to throw it out there. What I'm praying for right now is this, for $335,203.80. Pretty, pretty direct number, isn't it? If anybody wants to write that check, see me after. I'd love to talk more. No, 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 but really why I even bring that up and mention that is this. Is because did you know that every year we pay $119,000 to this building? And this is a great facility and a great building. But do you know what we could do with $119,000 extra dollars every year? Oh, church. I mean, we stepped it up this year and we're, we're pushing $25,000 for missions. But can you imagine what we could do with that? How we could set things up, some of the things that we could do? And I'm crazy enough to start praying that God would, God would give us that. I mean, you don't know who's going to walk through this door next week. You don't know who's going to move into this community. You don't know who, what conversations we're going to have the 13th over there. You, you don't have a clue. All I know is this, is that God doesn't answer those prayers you never asked for. So we want to enter into him. We want to ask him. We want to move in a mighty way. And from that, the reason why, the, the heart behind that number is this, is because we want growth. We want physical and we want spiritual growth. We want butts and seats. We want hearts growing closer to Jesus and maturing and walking wide because we want to be a church that plants churches. So we're looking down the road three, four, five years of, of what new life somewhere else is going to look like. Because do you know that there's other communities that are in desperate need of churches that's going to preach the Bible, that's going to be gospel-centered, that's going to be serious about making disciples, that's going to plug into the community and give away money and serve in a mighty way? That's what communities around here need, and that's what we want to be is the hands and feet of Jesus somewhere else. So as soon as we get that daggum debt taken care of, we can start to work toward that even more and reaching people, making the gospel known. So may we pray, may we press in, may we seek God, May we be known as men and women of faith and prayer. Let's pray big prayers, believing all the while, desiring for God's will to be done, regardless of the immediate outcome, knowing, knowing our longing is eternal. Father, help us this morning to be men and women of prayer. Help us not to have to get to that place of desperation. But Father, allow us to be obedient in the immediate. Father, do a work. God, forgive me for not being a man of prayer like I need to be. God, let's pray. You work in this moment. Reorient our hearts. And we pray. 
Amen. If you'd stand, Franklin's going to lead us in what I think is a great song to remind us.